Welcome to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast, conversations with some of the most interesting and influential leaders in the visual and performing arts. Discover a new art form, unlock your creativity, or dive deeper into an existing passion. I'm Ivy's Arts and Culture Director and your host, Phil Chan. For more information about Ivy and our arts and culture programming, visit culture.ivy.com. When someone says opera, one picture that immediately comes to mind for many folks is the Valkyrie singing on a grand opera house stage. Foreign languages, expensive tickets, a lack of exposure in school, and the discomfort of not being completely sure what to wear are just a few barriers that might keep new audiences from experiencing this art form that was birthed at the end of the 16th century in Italy. Brooklyn-based Loft Opera, founded in 2016, has turned this 500-year-old art form on its head bringing 11,000 audience members every year into transformed warehouse spaces to experience some of opera's greatest masterpieces. A staggering 74% of their audience members are 44 and under, and 60% are 34 and under. The model is inspiring a new and growing generation of opera enthusiasts who, based on a survey after attending a loft opera performance, are much more likely to attend a production at a larger opera house in the future. Could this be the model that the art form needs to jumpstart a new generation of opera buffs? I joined Brianna Maori, Loft Opera's general manager, to hear about this new model of presenting opera. So we started five years ago with a really simple idea. Actually, we were having beers and we were all pretty drunk. <laughs> and we said, there's a lot of interesting art happening in Brooklyn warehouses. Why can't opera be one of them? That was really the first idea. And what that grew into was, let's have a party, see if we can get 100 people out bare minimum and we did and we had a few selections of opera we sang a few arias and that grew into our first show then into the second and the third and now we've done 13 full-scale productions and last year our budget was over half a million so congratulations thank you when you come to a loft opera it starts with an adventure because it's usually pretty far off of the subway in an unmarked venue and so you arrive in a place that looks like a beaten down warehouse and inside there's a full orchestra and a full cast ready to perform Puccini or Mozart or Vivaldi selections like we're doing in June and then when you get there tickets are $30 you sit on the bench you get a beer for five bucks people bring a date it's really a different feeling than you get in a major opera house in the beginning we always marketed ourselves as a date night that was it we didn't get on opera listings we were really focused on getting on thrillist and things like the skint and uh, in the very beginning, too, our tickets were getting scalped places like Craigslist and people were showing up on OkCupid dates. And I think we've tried to carry that spirit forward and we've kept bench seating. We are very, very strict about people not being snooty. <laughs> it's funny to say that, but um, we play house music. We play Beyonce and we think that you should be able to listen to Beyonce and Vivaldi in the same night and that, you know, that's really important for the culture. Does this require preparing the audience for the experience? I think we try not to prepare them too much. We try to say everything you think about what opera is, which is, you know, red velvet and the Met, this isn't like that. And the Valkyries. Yeah, (laughs) the Valkyries, right. (laughs) Um, Just don't imagine that. Just show up with a clear mind. And in the program, for example, we never put spoilers. We never 
you know, if you're coming to see Tosca for the first time, you have no idea that Tosca dies at the end. Why would I want to tell someone that? Because I'm robbing them of a really incredible experience. The first time I saw Tosca was at the Met, and I had no idea that she died, and I sobbed. It really just... It really hit me, and I want first-time opera goers to be able to experience that in the same way that you would at a movie, um, where you don't know what happens. A lot of the people who come as first-time opera goers are brought by a friend, and so their friends kind of prep them. Um, but there are super titles, so we project what's going on so people can watch it more like a subtitled movie. And like I said, there is a synopsis that gives them a rough outline of the story. Um, everyone who also works behind the bar at our shows is really friendly, and they talk to people, and there's never a sense that like, you'll be judged if you don't like the work or you don't understand it or something like that. And it's funny because at intermission... I overhear those conversations constantly, sort of like, well, in the first act, I had no idea what was going on, but then I got it and I realized, oh, she's going to kill him. And, you know, and so they kind of go on the journey themselves and they really enjoy it. And I really, I love that about our audience. So what are some barriers to engagement at traditional opera houses that aren't an issue in the loft opera model? I think the number one thing that's keeping opera inaccessible in the big houses is the price point. And we haven't raised our price since our very first year. And... General admission $30 is very affordable for a young audience. Um, I think that's the number one thing they can learn. Second to that are all of the other things that we talk about, which is hiring young talent, um, making making it a good time for people. And, you know, we don't have ushers who are rude. We have general admission seating, like all of those sorts of things. I think people are attracted to opera as an art form in general. The problem with going to the Met is that it feels like it's very other to them. It's outside of their universe. But if it's in Brooklyn and it's, you know, six blocks away from a bar you've been to, it feels much more uh, natural. So the Met actually already has a program they call something like 40 Fridays under 40. Fridays under 40. Yeah. Yeah, And we always joke and we call it flirty Fridays under 40. (laughs) Um, But the problem with that kind of thing is that then you're still otherizing people. You're still making them feel like they're outsiders. And that's part of the reason why people feel awkward when they go to the Met. So that starts with setting the tone, even from when you walk in the door, like even the ushers at the Met are kind of rude and they're they're not happy to see you. And so when I stand at the door, I say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I hug people I don't know. I welcome everyone in. We don't even check tickets because I think that is setting the right tone, which is like, we trust you enough to be a patron, to show up here in the middle of nowhere in Brooklyn to have a great time and experience opera. Um, I think the Met could never get to a point where they don't check tickets, obviously. (laughs) Um, But that starts with people at the box office saying, we're so happy you're here and then making drinks $5. And, you know, young people want to go. They want to hang out after and talk about the art. I think the restaurant should be open on the grand tier after the show and, you know, have people hang out. In some ways, however, loft opera is reverting to a time when opera was more of a social experience. It's something really fascinating to be able to have as a memory. We have several couples, I think a handful, who came on their first dates in our very first days of loft opera, and now they're married. Like this time, opera as an art form became a part of their relationship, and they came to every loft opera performance. So, for example, when Tosca was first performed 
in the late 1800s, the opera house was the center of the city and people would go there and spend all day. And there was a casino in the ground floor and up in the family circle, there were curtains where people would close the curtains and actually have sex during operas. And, you know, there's a reason that operas are four and, you know, four and a half hours long. Um, You would hear the swell in the music and you would notice, you know, these melodies and you would say, oh, this is my favorite song. You would open the curtains and stop having sex and you would listen. And when that aria was done, you'd say, oh, yeah, now it goes back to the recit. I'm just going to close it up and they would go back to business. And so opera houses were a place of the people and it was cheap and people would drink all day and they would have an amazing time. And so we're trying to replicate that with loft opera. People make out. Older people, generally women, will complain after the fact and say, there was a couple behind me, so distracting. They wouldn't stop touching each other. And that makes me happy, (laughs) secretly. (laughs) There are some challenges with the model, however. Uh, So producing in a warehouse has many, many challenges. (laughs) Um, One of which is always the temperature and controlling the space because sometimes we're in old bus venues, old bus warehouses rather. And so it's dusty. We have to clean. We bring people in there, you know, oftentimes we have to rent bathrooms. And um, so when you're working with singers and orchestra members who are used to performing in houses, it's a huge transition for them. And that's a huge part of my job is making sure everyone feels safe, that they feel like they can make amazing art and sing and perform well. Um, and then, you know, managing the experience of the audience. That's like the biggest, it's the core of what we do, but it's also the most difficult part. So we never do period opera. That's one of the ways that we've made a really, like drawn a line in the sand about um, our artistic choices. And we hire a lot of young voices and we've caught, in, we've caught flack for it actually with people saying their voice isn't ready. You know, if you hire a man who's under 30, there's no way that he can sing a part. And the truth is they can. There's just this artistic idea um, in the industry that certain voices shouldn't be heard at a certain age. I think it's bullshit. So that's the other way. Like we're putting really fresh young talent on the stage and they're getting to sing title roles. And it's very thrilling because they're singing Tosca for the first time and the audience can tell, they can feel it for sure. The same goes for our orchestra. We hire all young people, many of whom we met in jazz school. And so, you know, they sort of made that transition from jazz to classical and it, it gives the art a different tint for sure. Understanding the framework for how to present opera is one challenge. Choosing the repertory that fits this framework presents another. We work on a calendar year. So in the summer, we start talking about the following year. So this summer, we're going to sit down, Daniel, who's our executive producer, me, uh, our music director, Sean Kelly, and any of the directors we want to work with. And it's more like a pair. Because we do such site-specific work, we look at the roster of venues. And we're like, oh, okay, we have 101 Varick. We've been offered the King's Theater. We've been offered um, you know, the Mast Factory. What could we actually fit there? Because, like I said, the weather really dictates the mood in the room. We want something dark and spooky for the winter. We want something fun for the summer. Um, and we, we just put it on a whiteboard and kind of cross them out. And it's all of us deciding together. But we are thinking about starting a commissions program next year. Great. To commission our own work. Um, I think that new audiences aren't really interested in the avant-garde. And that's what you end up getting a lot with new works. But from the beginning, we always said we wanted to be more of a populist company, which is how we're getting a new audience. And I think there is definitely room for new work, but definitely not in what we're doing, you know, for four shows a year. I think this is definitely the future of certain operas. 
I don't think we could ever do a great Aida, for example, because of the scale. You can never do a Don Carlo in a warehouse simply because you can't reduce the opera enough to make the sound fit. So there's certainly enough work in the repertoire to be able to do a ton of operas in warehouse settings. Um, but as far as the future of the art form, our vision is that we branch out. LA actually is our next city. We're going to start our own independent production house there and do Loft Opera LA because the audience there is very similar to the audience in Brooklyn. And we don't want to grow out, or we don't want to grow up really into a regional opera house. We want to grow out. So what is the best way to get involved and support this new outlet for opera? Part of what makes us really different is that our shows almost pay for themselves. That's really, really unheard of. That's very unusual in the, in the performing arts, <laughs> yeah. so hats off to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, our shows pay 80% of themselves per production. So we fundraise, of course, on top of that for operational expenses like our office and our storage units and stuff. We have a board. Um, but the best way to support us is to become a member, honestly. We have two levels of membership, and it just guarantees a certain number of tickets for each show, and that really helps us um, in terms of cash flow and planning for the year. Tell me more about the membership. What are the levels and what do you get? So we have two. One is regular and one's VIP. For a regular level, you get free drinks all night for with one membership and you get a general admission ticket. Um, and you get invited to our special member events throughout the year, which can be in penthouses or smaller venues, or sometimes we do talkback events and things like that. Um, VIP membership includes a reserved seat with your name on it, including drinks all night and the parties and things I mentioned. The full package. And what, yeah. what do those run in terms of pricing? Um, the VIP membership is 270 It's prorated for the rest of the year, and the regular membership is 180 In the fall, we're doing uh, Pagliacci in September, and then we're doing Bar Talk, Bluebeard's Castle in December. And you can buy tickets on our website, loftopera.com. Thanks for listening to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast. For more information about Ivy and our over 400 cultural programs nationwide, visit culture.ivy.com.